beginning. And uh, if you don't know why that's significant or why Phil is even mentioning that, then you haven't been to church in a while. Shame on you. Now, if you need to know what I'm referring to, then you talk to the person next to you. Ask them, well, what's Phil talking about? Why is it important that he's standing? And you know what? If they don't know, say to them, shame on you. Okay? We are in the Gospel of John, the I am sayings of Jesus. There are seven in John's Gospel. And today in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, which is our scripture reading and our text before us today, we hear Jesus again say something about him as I am. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this His holy word. Amen. If you haven't already, I hope you have found our daily devotional blog on the Gospel of John. The uh, address where to find it is in your bulletin. It's also, I think, a link from our website. Every day, there's a, uh, every day there's a verse or two or short passage from the Gospel of John. Uh, and then a reflection to help us understand that or think about it, followed by a brief prayer, prayer. Great thing to incorporate into your day, maybe first thing in the morning or sometime during the day, uh, to help you just think about God and focus on God. And those reflections come from real people, not like pastors, real people. Um, people in this congregation are writing those reflections and we're putting them together and they are so insightful. And people see things that I just never thought of or that are new or that help us encounter Jesus as we go through the Gospel of John. I, I hope you'll find it. And even if you don't check in every day, maybe just once a week or maybe on the weekends uh, or two or three times a week, just find those devotionals and feed off of them. Is Jesus really 
the way, the truth, the life? And is there really no way to the Father except through Him? Jesus makes an exclusive claim with that I am statement. I think there are two sides that have kind of misused, first of all, that statement of Jesus in these ways. First of all, one side, what we might call um, religious pluralists. That is, those who, who think of coming to God as kind of a menu at a restaurant. You have 10, 12, 15 things, different ways, and you just kind of choose the one that's best for you. There's just a plurality of ways. And often people who think like that are offended by Jesus, exclusive claims, or uh, scared by the force of them, and so they try to explain them away and, and to mean something else that's not so threatening. Sometimes we get nervous when we start hearing people talk about the truth and there only being one way, certainly about God. We live in a time, it's better, it's safer to be just wildly tolerant of everybody's point of view where people say there's no real truth. And after all, when people start insisting that they have the right way, they become fanatical and people start getting hurt. Quite popular today to believe that all religious expressions are valid, that the divine really transcends all of the various expressions, therefore we can't really say one way is above another way. Some people even go so far as to say, well, you can take Christianity and you know, Hinduism or Buddhism or Muslim or whatever, and they all basically say the same thing, really. Many people think that every religion sees part of the larger spiritual truth of the universe, and many also think, you know, it's arrogant to say that you have the right way or that you're correct or that you even try to convert anyone to your way. Not long ago, a woman spoke to me. Uh, she had heard me talk about Christ and Christian faith. She admitted she was attracted to what I said. She'd been raised in a church, and she'd left many years ago because it didn't meet her spiritual thirst. And now she was worshiping in, in, in a Native American uh, spirituality. She practiced that. I got the sense from talking to her, she wasn't totally convinced about that, didn't know exactly why she turned to that, other than she had a great spiritual thirst. That was her way, she said. I had my way. She said to me almost apologetically that no way could be better than anybody other's way. Are there many ways to God? Was Jesus merely just one of those ways? Now, the other way I think that Jesus' words have been distorted are from what I would call maybe a very strict, narrow, dogmatic Christian way of using these words of Jesus to clobber people of other faiths and beliefs and kind of even condemn everybody to hell. Some Christians have demonstrated really a, a very arrogant, almost snotty attitude towards people of other beliefs, saying something like this with this attitude, well, Christ is the way. And I know the way, and you don't have the way, therefore I'm better than you. In fact, there are at least three major characteristics in John's gospel that I think have been used, misused by Christians. One is the phrase, the Jews. You see this come up again and again in John's gospel, the Jews. Um, yes, there were Jews who rejected Jesus. Yes, there were Jews who participated in Jesus' death. Uh, and were antagonistic toward him. But not all. 
Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were Jewish. Many of the first believers were Jewish. Sadly, over history, people have used that phrase, the Jews, out of John to be very cruel to Jewish people. Labeling them sometimes things like Christ killers or being very demeaning. And it's a blemish on our Christian history that that has happened. Now, some have been very anti-Semitic and used John's gospel to justify that. Another way a thing in John's gospel has been misused is the term born again. Jesus in John chapter 3 says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. But some Christians have claimed to have some kind of patent on what Jesus meant by born again and that experience, and they make themselves the judge of whether you have truly been born again or whether you haven't. And then I would say the third part of John that gets used somewhat inappropriately is this claim of Jesus. I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John does not give Jesus' words to offend people of other religions or faiths or so that worshipers of Christ can gloat over others. Uh, Those are not the point of Jesus' claim. The biblical view is that, you know, all humans have fallen short, all humans sin against God, and that has cut us all off from God. And there's only one way to God. It's not on the human side. We can't get to him. But though that access was closed, God has come to us in Christ to open that way. He's come in love to open that way. And Christ is that way. But neither you nor I have an absolute understanding or grasp on how he is the way. We have made, sometimes we've made Christ as the way, a formula for which we own the rights. We have subtly made ourselves the gatekeeper to Jesus. Some Christians have made themselves the way to the way. And we've made people go through, well, you've got to pray the prayer, and then you hit the way, or you know the four spiritual laws, then you'll find the way. And we make them meet our tests to get to Christ. Jesus is not a formula. He is a person who is also a divine person. He has his own agenda. He has his own will and way. He knows what he is about. He knows what he is doing. Quite free from us, we do not possess him. Probably more, if anything, he possesses us. One of the big questions we wrestle with, it is a big question, is, well, what about if Christ is the way, what about those people who have never heard of him, who've never had the chance to hear the gospel or respond to him. I wrestle with that question a lot. I think about it. When Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, first of all, it's not meant to be a word of damnation on people who have never heard of Christ. It is meant to be good news. A way to God has been opened for all people. God has opened the way himself. Jesus is not putting anyone else down. He's making a statement about himself. He wants people to find and know the way to God. There's nothing said at that place about people of other religions. In fact, as C.S. Lewis reminded us, yes, we might feel it's very unfair that new life and that truth be given only to those who have heard of and believed in Christ. But the truth is, God has not told us what his arrangements about the other people are. We do know that no person can be saved except through Christ. We do not know that only those who know him 
can be saved through him. When we think about people like a young woman born into a very strict Muslim culture, kind of sealed off from the world, who has never heard anything about Christ's love or forgiveness. Or a man who may be raised in the church. His father was a deacon, but his father would come home and savagely beat his mother, that man's mother. And that man became angry about faith, turned away from it. Let's be careful about assuming that we know how God will meet those people. We cannot limit how Jesus works and how he moves as the way, as the truth, as the life. I happen to be born in the United States. I was born into a Christian home. I had Bibles and Billy Graham and vacation Bible school growing up. I had a lot of opportunities to hear about Christ. What about someone who was born into a Buddhist home in obscure place in Tibet? A lot different experience. They heard virtually nothing of Christ, maybe. Christ is the way. And if the Hindu or the agnostic or the Muslim or the Christian is going to come to God, the Father, it will be through Christ. The Lord, who knows every heart and experience, will be the judge of those who come to the Father and who doesn't. God hasn't shared everything about his plans for those who have never heard of Christ. Yes, the Bible speaks about those who are lost. Yes, biblical revelation does not say, well, it doesn't matter. Everybody will be saved. All men and women need to know salvation. And our job as given to us by Christ is to practice and to proclaim and to demonstrate the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with all our hearts so that everybody can hear, so that everybody can know, so that everybody can respond to the redeeming work of Christ. That's why we do things like missions. That's why we support evangelism. That's why we translate the Bible. That's why we do these things, to proclaim our king's message. Many years ago, Karl Barth, who was probably the most prominent theologian in the last century, was speaking at Princeton Theological Seminary. He was giving a lecture. And a student asked Barth at the end of his talk, he said, sir, don't you think that God has revealed himself in other religions, not only in Christianity? And Bart answered, no. God has not revealed himself in any religion, including Christianity. And just everybody was shocked. But then he went on to say this. He has revealed himself in his son. It isn't about religion. It's about God's son. That is John's message in his gospel. Jesus Christ is the word. And God has spoken for himself uniquely and only through Christ, the word of God. The disciple Philip asks Jesus, Lord, show us the father and that'll be good enough for us. And Jesus tells him, you know, when you see me, you see the father. And when you hear me, you hear the father. I am in the father. The father is in me totally, completely. We are one. John has told us this, the first chapter. Do you remember this verse? No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Another theologian, pastor in Germany, about the time of Karl Barth, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was once giving a lecture against the way that Jesus has been secularized by some kind of watered down by people who want to soften him or make his claims less than they really are. And Bonhoeffer said, you know, if Christ was nothing more than a religious genius, 
if he was just maybe a brilliant ethicist or if he, he was just a gentleman, we could live without him. We don't really need him any more than we would need Plato or any other great philosopher. He's not vital to our lives in that case. However, he said, should there be something in Christ that claims my life entirely with the full seriousness that here God himself speaks. And if the word of God once became present only in Christ, then Christ has not only relative but absolute urgent significance for me. Understanding Christ means taking Christ seriously. Understanding this claim means taking seriously his absolute claim on our commitment. If you want to speak about the similarity of Christianity with other religions, we really miss the point because the essence of Christianity is not about a religion at all. It's about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. At the time, Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, both those men were pastoring. They lived in Germany. And when Hitler in the Third Reich came to power, you know, Hitler took over the churches of Germany and used it for their own purposes. And Bart and Bonhoeffer were two people, two voices against what was happening. They were part of a larger group of leaders. It was called the Confessing Church. That was as opposed to the group that was called the German Christians that was basically the state-run church. They were beginning to remove crosses. They were beginning to take out parts of the Bible and water down the gospel and the person of Christ. So the leaders of the Confessing Church had a famous gathering in the city of Barman, and they published what was called the Barman Declaration. It's one of our confessions in our Presbyterian history and church. Two of the scriptures that they used in the Barman Declaration that they felt was so important in that time was history with a scripture we read last week and the one before us today. Listen to what part of the declaration affirms. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. They went on to write this. Jesus Christ, as he has attested for us in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God which we have to hear and which we have to trust and obey in life and in death, we reject the false doctrine as though the church could and would have to acknowledge as its source of proclamation, its message, apart from and beside this one word of God, still other events, powers, figures, and truths as God's revelation. Christ can't be watered down by other events, other figures, other powers, other truths. We are to look to Christ and Christ alone. We are to listen to Christ and Christ alone. We are to point people to Jesus, introduce people to Jesus, and lead people to experience him. Yes, at times, his very church has gotten in the way of the way. We have to be careful. As a matter of fact, Jesus one time spoke about uh, religion, keeping people from entering into relationship with him. But one of the dangers of a more liberal theology is that it lacks the conviction that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and God, Jesus is the one unique revelation of God. And so it makes Christ one out of many options, overriding what he claimed himself. Jesus is exclusive in his claims, in his person. But, but, he is also 
deeply inclusive in his work and in his love. Dale Bruner has what I think is a very helpful image when it comes to terms with the exclusivity of Christ, that he is the only way, but also our hope for inclusivity, that none will be left outside of him. And that image is the cross. Lo and behold, the cross. The vertical beam of the cross. Think of that vertical beam that goes up and down. It, it, it is high and it is deep. It is the exclusive exclusivity of Christ is the way of salvation. It is what we preach. What Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. And some people, that's a stumbling block for them. And Paul said, and some people, they're going to think that's foolish, but that's what we preach. But there's another beam. There's the horizontal beam that is also tightly fixed to that exclusive beam. And the horizontal beam is as wide as the world and as far-reaching as the most desperate sinner that there is. For God, I think it says, for God so loved the world. The world. That includes everybody. You can't be any more inclusive than the whole world. God's reach is wide. Christ is the exclusive way to the Father. Now, I think about this. Could God apply the blood of Christ to a man who may have never had the opportunity and have no real understanding of the gospel, but he has this innate sense of his need for God and who God is, and he cries out to God, and by the Holy Spirit, could not God the Father forgive that man, thereby including him in Christ's reconciling work? I think he could. Or maybe we can think of it like this. The, the message of Christ is exclusive in that Christ is the only way to the Father, but it is not exclusive in the sense that it denies the possibility of the salvation for every and all non-Christians. God can do what God wants to do. The Christian message is inclusive in the sense that it refuses to limit the saving grace of God to members of just churches alone. But it rejects an inclusiveness which sees non-Christian religions or systems as ways to salvation in God. We might be able to say, actually, we are pluralists in that we acknowledge the grace, the gracious work of God in the lives of all human beings without limit. We believe God can reach anybody, no matter a person's background, no matter their language, no matter their circumstances or their person. God's grace is for them. It can reach them. But we reject a pluralism that denies Christ as the one through whom God has uniquely spoken and acted for us. He is the one. If anybody is going to be saved, it will come through Christ. Christ alone. The fullness of God is in him. He is the one who is the gatekeeper. And we sang about the cross. That is why he went to the cross. There's no reason to go to the cross, to pay that kind of price, to suffer that kind of death. If there's not something that has to happen that only he can do. And some may not like that. Some may not like to hear that. But Christians have to be courageous enough, have the conviction and the faith enough to take the heat. Every human being, every human being is created with this desire, this sense, this hunger and thirst for God. We have this sense of the divine that someone is up, that someone is up there that humans have, have always thought of and come up with. And, and that's why we have different forms, different ways that people have tried to approach God. The reason religions exist is a testimony to the fact we have this sense of the divine. 
Jesus claimed to be the way to the Father. Jesus claimed also to be able to satisfy the thirst that anybody has and that he was the only one who could quench that thirst. A person has to come to terms, I think, with Christ's claims. I don't think you can get around him. This, uh, I think I gave you a lot this morning. I don't know if, if, if you're not confused yet. All week long, I was trying to be very sensitive to these things, and I don't want to back down from bringing heavy or thought-provoking things to you because I want us to grow in mind and faith, and so that's why I do this this morning. Um, but let me close maybe with something a little lighter, okay? Uh, it comes from C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair, one of his chronicles of Narnia. Um, it might illustrate this a little bit. Uh, Jill, in this scene, I'm going to read, Jill is in the wonderland of Narnia, and uh, the young girl, Jill, and she is thirsty as all get out, and she sees a stream, but between that stream is the lion, Aslan, who is the king of Narnia. He's also the figure of Christ, if you don't know anything about the Chronicles of Narnia. And Jill is just overcome with thirst. She sees the water, but she sees the lion, and she is fearful. By the way, this is a Jesus story. Okay, this is a Jesus story. Are you not thirsty? Said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. The lion said, there is no other stream. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the fountain of life, of salvation, and from whom every person, every one of us must drink to know you, God. You came to reveal the Father and open the way for us to him. You did it out of love. And you went to the cross in love for the whole world so that that way could be opened. Help us to stand on that and proclaim the message of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation through you alone. But forgive us for any ways we have used you arrogantly, proclaiming the rightness of ourselves, 
Forgive us if we have watered down your words. Forgive us for watering down your claim to be the way, the truth, and the life, lest anybody miss it. And give us the passion to point people to you, to lead people to you. And give us a deeper understanding, a deeper conviction, a deeper faith of who you are, your majesty, your greatness, your grandeur. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song as a response. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence. When Satan tempts me to despair Tells me of the guilt within Upward I look at seeing there Who made a head of all my sin because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. To look on Him and pardon me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one, risen Son of God. Behold Him there, the risen Lamb, the perfect spot. Righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One in Himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is here with Christ on high. My Savior, 